Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Reconomy Podcast, where we discuss economic issues that impact real estate, housing, and affordability. I'm Odetta Kushi, Deputy Chief Economist at First American, and here with me is Mark Fleming, Chief Economist at First American. Hey, Mark, I think on today's podcast, we have to address the economic elephant in the room. And by room, I mean the world. Do you have any idea which elephant I'm referring to? Hi, Odetta. Well, of course, we all know which economic elephant you're talking about. The global elephant of inflation. Dun, dun, dun. Correct. And in today's conversation, we will discuss one factor that may turn that elephant into a mouse. And that's my last animal metaphor, I promise. But before we dive into that key factor, I think it would be relevant to first talk about what's happening with inflation today. Hey, I didn't promise anything about animal puns. Oh, I see where this one's going. And if I've (laughs) said it before, I'll say it again. Please, please don't quit your day job. Well, I thought it was pretty punny. Back to inflation. Inflation in the U.S. remains high. The Personal Consumption Expenditure Price Index climbed 0.4% in August, which was the sixth straight increase at or above 0.4%. But let's talk about what that means for real people. Yes, have you noticed the price of gas has gone up or the price of food in the grocery store? Not sure if that includes your soy milk, Odetta. Well, I haven't noticed the soy milk increase, but luckily I'm a vegetarian, so I haven't had to deal with the increase in beef prices. Have you read about that? I am not a vegetarian and I have noticed the increase in beef prices. So this gets to the idea of what economists do is gather this basket of goods, Odetta's soy milk, my beef, the cereal and other things that we buy at stores and more generally buy in all different kinds of places, regularly purchased items, in this basket of goods and you measure the change in that collective basket and that's what we measure as inflation. These changes in prices are what we feel in our proverbial pocketbook. Absolutely. And that year-over-year growth in inflation in August increased to 4.3% from 4.2% in July. That's the highest rate since 1991. And not only that, but according to a Federal Reserve survey, median inflation expectations are the highest they've been since 2013 when the survey was launched. Now, most of the increase in inflation is tied to the reopening of the economy. There was this burst of pent-up demand, which overwhelmed the ability of businesses to keep up, especially with a shortage of materials. By the way, this isn't just in the US. The pace of price increases has accelerated around the world. Now, you may ask, this is a housing podcast, so why are we deep diving into inflation? Ah, yes. What, what's the connection here? Well, because higher prices have lots of real estate-related side effects. Of course, there are the higher prices for all the wood, the windows, the appliances, if you can find them at the moment, that go into building homes. But just as importantly, there are the higher the current rate of inflation is and the higher people think inflation will be in the future, um, the relevant... <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't quit your day job, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to stick to the economics. Yes, the relevant economic term for what people think future inflation will be is called inflation expectations. The higher the current rate of inflation and the higher, most importantly, the expected rate of inflation, the higher yields on long-term bonds, like the all-important 10-year treasury, go up. And as any regular listener of this podcast knows, Higher yields on 10-year treasury bonds means higher mortgage rates. So inflation... 
ties exactly. to Not to mention that higher and more persistent inflation may prompt the Fed to taper their bond buying program, which would put even more upward pressure on mortgage rates. So inflation is pretty important overall and specifically to housing. So how can we tell if this inflation is permanent or transitory, as the Fed keeps calling it? Transitory or permanent, these are two terms now in the lexicon, and that is really the question. Because if the expectations are permanent, then inflation expectations that we were just talking about also rise. And when that happens, workers want more pay, at least theoretically. And so we look to wage growth for a signal of that, that indication of inflation expectations on the rise because of a belief in permanent inflation pressures. And those average hourly earnings have indeed gone up. Um, that total private uh, payrolls have increased 0.6% in September, and the year-over-year -year increase is 4.6%. So excluding a spike in 2020, that's the fastest annual pace since the Bureau of Labor Statistics, or the BLS, started tracking the measure in 2007. It's also the third month in a row that the annual rise has been more than 4%. So, uh-oh there. And thinking back, to our Econ 101 classes where we learned about wage push inflation. When wages rise, businesses must charge more for their products and services to pay for their higher wages. But is there any historical precedent to this? I'm glad you asked, Odetta. Of course there is, and you know how we love our history on this podcast. Rising wages is what the, uh, the Fed, the great inflation era during the 1970s. It got started with government spending because of the Vietnam War and oil shocks. Um, OPEC in the late 1970s was soaring gasoline prices, but that's not really what made it stick. Once everyone expected this inflation to continue, it became the self-fulfilling prophecy. Workers expected prices to increase. They demanded higher wages because businesses expected those wages to rise. They raised their prices, so on and so on and so on we go. According to the Fed's favorite measure of inflation, personal consumption expenditures, or PCE, inflation hit double-digit levels over growth during that time. And that's also capped off by a mortgage interest rate of over 18% in 1981. Eventually, the Fed chair at the time, Paul Volcker, raised interest rates. He had to get inflation under control. Now, we're not trying to say that this is time is something like the 1970s. The causes for inflation now are very different from them. Yes, this time is different. For one, the 1970s were characterized by stagflation, but right, and that's slow growth along with rapidly rising prices. But today, yes, we're seeing those rising prices in the inflation numbers, but we're also seeing very good, strong, rebounding recovery economic growth coming and out of the pandemic. And that is actually a great segue to the question we asked at the beginning of the podcast, what can mitigate the inflation risk? And the answer is in growth productivity growth to be specific. What is it you ask? Well, productivity growth is typically measured as the growth in output per hour. And productivity has been pretty muted for the past two decades, but could be on the rise. U.S. corporations have record levels of cash on hand and in banks and seem to be investing again, as shown by the fact that new orders for capital goods, excluding aircraft and military spending, reached their highest on record in nominal terms in August. A Wall Street Journal article cites an S&P Global report, which states that the same pattern holds in most of the world, and they predict that 2021 will have the biggest rise in global capital spending since 2007. So the idea is that this investment will turn into more productivity. But why would productivity mitigate inflation risk? 
Well, this is really simple, right? A lot of that capital spending is on things like equipment and computers intended to help the workers be more productive. The more a worker can produce per hour, aka higher productivity, the more they can get paid without the company having to raise prices. Companies don't have to raise prices just because they must raise wages if, big if, they can also increase productivity at the same time. And to dig a little deeper into what those capital expenditures are, services play a much greater role in today's economy than manufacturing, which means there is more demand for soft assets, such as intellectual property, software, and R&D, than there is for hard assets, such as equipment and structures. In fact, in the second quarter of 2021, intellectual property investment was approximately 9.5% above its pre-pandemic level, or its Q4 2019 level, while investment in hard assets remained 2% below. While hard asset capital expenditures remain the dominant form of investment overall, it's clear that investment in soft assets is increasing more quickly. This reflects the transition in our economy to businesses that are less hard asset capital intensive. Yes, yeah, Odetta, that is so very relevant. <laughs> <laughs> and all of this intelligent or innovation business investment is what's driving productivity growth today. Now, it's too soon to tell if productivity growth will be fast enough to keep inflation under control, especially with wage growth where it is today. But it is important to monitor productivity as one key factor that may prevent higher wages from being passed on to prices. And if that productivity is able to keep the economy from overheating, that means you're less likely to see mortgage rates increase. You know, I always have to bring it back to housing. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Reconomy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can also sign up for our blog at firstam.com economics. And if you can't wait for the next episode, please follow us on Twitter. It's at Odetta Kushi for me and at M Fleming Econ for Mark. Until next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Reconomy podcast from First American. For even more economic content, visit firstam.com economics. This episode is copyright 2021 by First American Financial Corporation, all rights reserved. For more information, visit us at firstam.com.